welcome to Grace Community Church. I'm so glad you're here. Those of you online as well, thank you for connecting with us this morning. It is good to be together in God's house this morning. We are continuing our uh, series through the Apostle Paul's letter to the church at Colossae. The title of the series is The Supremacy of Jesus in All Things. If you don't know me, my name is Stephen Salvis. I'm the associate pastor here. Matthew is away for the weekend. He should be back uh, tomorrow. Pray for him to have a safe trip home. But what a privilege it is for me uh, to stand and preach this morning. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. And if you do not have a Bible, I would gladly gift you one. If you don't have one of your own, see me after the service. I'll make sure to give you a Bible for you to have, take home, read, bring back to church, uh, and follow along with us. It's good to have a physical copy of God's Word to follow along with. But if you don't have that, you can follow along on the screen. Colossians chapter 3, I'll be starting at verse 1 this morning. I'm reading from the New King James Version. And this is what the Bible says. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, Wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, <coughs> and have put on the new man, who is renewed in knowledge, according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all. And in all. Title of the message this morning is Dead with Christ, Raised with Christ. Dead with Christ, Raised with Christ. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Lord, it is good to be together in this place. You knew ahead of time who would be here. As a matter of fact, you knew exactly where they'd be seated. So Lord, I pray that you would have your way this morning. I pray that your Holy Spirit will fall fresh on us, please. 
I pray that the Word of God will have its powerful effect on our hearts and our lives. Speak, dear God. Give clarity. God, I confess my confidence is in the Word. It's not in my words. But it's in the Word. Thank you so much for the promise that it will never return void. Please, again, have your way in us. I think of those in children's ministry. God bless them. Thank you so much for their service. Bless our children. Thank you for all that's happening, all that's already happened this morning in this building. May all that continues to happen bring glory to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 says this, If then you were raised with Christ, if then you were raised with Christ, Colossians chapter 3 begins with a contrast to something that the Apostle Paul wrote in chapter 2 verse 20. Therefore, if you died with Christ, therefore, if you died with Christ, if then you were raised with Christ. I want to take a moment to uh, explore this paradox uh, before we move on in our text this morning. Colossians 2.20 makes clear that the moment we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, we died with Christ. We are forever identified with Jesus' death on the cross. So what does it mean to be dead with Christ? It means this. It means we're dead to sin. The Bible says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not, the New King James Version says, but the King James Version says, God forbid. How shall we who are dead to sin live any longer in it? The Bible also says, likewise you also, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. When a person dies, when that person literally, physically breathes his last breath on earth, sin has no more power or control over that person. The Bible says that when we come to Christ... It's as if we literally died when it comes to sin. Sin has no more power or control over the Christian. There was a time when we were slaves to sin. There was a time when sin was our master. But that's no longer the case. The Christian has a new master and his name is Jesus. Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. So what else? What else does it mean to be dead with Christ? It means we are dead to the law. We are dead to the law. The Bible says, therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ. The Bible also says, for I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. 
The purpose of the law is to reveal our need for a savior. We will never satisfy the demands of the law on our own. But the good news is this. We don't have to. Jesus did it for us. He did it for us on the cross so that we no longer are under the law. We are dead to the law. And we now live under grace. Number three, under what does it mean to be dead with Christ? We are dead to the world. We are dead to the world. Galatians 6.14, but God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Then Colossians 2.20, which Matthew talked about last week, in which I uh, introduced the message this morning. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrine of men in Jesus Christ the Christian is dead to the world that means we've made a break from the world notice I didn't say we've taken a break from the world we have made a permanent and complete break with the world and worldliness and godlessness John Piper says the world and the ways of the world were once a god to me. But for the Christian, that is no longer true. When I turned to Christ, when I decided to follow him, I died to the world. And finally, what does it mean to be dead with Christ? We are dead to our former self. We are dead to our former self. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Rome. He wrote these words. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. And Colossians chapter 3, verse 3, which we'll get to in a few moments, says this. For you died... For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Let me repeat something I said a little bit ago. At the moment we received Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, we died with Christ. We are forever identified with Jesus and his death on the cross. But at the same time, Colossians 3.1 says the Christian has been raised with Christ. That word raised means raised together. Not raised alone, raised together. Remember, at the cross, you died to your former self. But when you became a Christian, you were a different person. You became a different person. At the tomb, you were raised Together with him. You're raised in his resurrection. 
You became someone new. Listen to the words of 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So because you've been raised together with Christ, because you are someone new, because you no longer follow the ways of the world, but are now a follower of Jesus Christ, Paul writes under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Things on the earth, at the end of verse 2, are temporal. They're earthy. They're worldly. But things above are eternal. Things above refer to Jesus and all things related to Jesus. He must be our focus. Things above refer to all that matters for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of eternity. Seek those things which are above. That's a command. Seek them, Christian. It's an action verb. It takes effort. Set your mind on things above. Set your mind. It involves a firm decision. A decision is made to go searching for those things which are above. A decision is made to go uh, to focus on the eternal. A decision is made to pursue Christ. Hear me. No one stumbles into godliness. Godliness does not happen by accident. Jesus said this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, Matthew 6.33. The apostle Paul is repeating Jesus' words here in Colossians. Seek those things which are above. Set your mind on them. Paul continues in verse 3. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So this point, verse points back to Colossians chapter 2, verse 20. What we talked about earlier, your former self died. It points back uh, two verses also to Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. You have been raised with Christ. You have a new self. And that new self is now hidden with Christ in God. The word hidden has to do with being covered or being concealed. The Christian is safely covered in Christ. It speaks of security for the Christian. But there's so much more to it. And that, that more to it is found in the first part of the following verse, when Christ, who is our life, appears. When Christ, who is our life, appears. Three weeks ago, we talked about Jesus Christ being our hope. Do you remember that? Paul uh, mentioned Jesus. He described Jesus as being our hope of glory. That's chapter 1, verse 27. But here in chapter 3, Paul describes him as being our life. Jesus Christ is our 
life. The Bible makes clear that your life is no longer your own. Listen to the words of 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which belong to God. The creator of the universe paid a high price for you. That price was the death of his son on the cross as payment for your sins. So when you were raised with Christ, you were no longer your own. Tony Evans says this about Colossians 3, 4. Christ is not merely to be in your life. He is to be the total sum of your life. For the Christian, your new life is hidden in Jesus Christ. He now is your life. Verse 4 continues. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I want you to notice something. Back in verses 1 and 2, uh, Paul said we're to seek those things which are above. Set your mind on things above. <laughs> so the Christian must have an upward focus on things above. But verse 4 says when Christ appears, referring to his return, then we will also appear with him in glory. So not only are we to have an upward focus, we're also to have a forward focus, looking forward to his return. We said he is coming back, and it could be very soon. Notice this too. In only four verses, the Apostle Paul has covered the past, the present, and the future of the Christian life. In the past, we were raised with Christ at his resurrection. In the present, we are hidden with Christ in God. In the future, we will appear with Christ at his return. Therefore, because all of this on the screen is true, because we've been raised with Christ, because we are hidden in Christ, because we will appear with Christ, therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. Verse 5. The New Living Translation puts it this way. So put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. So we already established that the Christian is dead to sin. It has no more power or control over you. You're no longer a slave to it. But you still have the ability to sin. So Paul says here, put that ability to death. King James Version uses the word mortify. Literally, the word mortify means make it dead. Make it dead. By the way, verse 5 adds an exclamation point to verse 2. Set your mind on things above. That's what verse 2 says. Set your mind on Jesus Christ. And all things related to Jesus. Don't set your mind on things on the earth. 
As a matter of fact, verse 5, make those things dead to you. Just like in verse 2, there's a setting of the mind here in verse 5. A conscious decision is being made, Grace. To put to death the lust of the flesh within you. And here's where Paul then begins that list of the lust of the flesh. Those sins that must be put to death. The first sin on the list is fornication. The Greek word translated fornication here is pornea. Pornea. Sound familiar? The word from where we get our English word pornography. It refers to any form of sexual sin. Put it away. Kill it. Uncleanness. That which is immoral. That which is not pure. This includes evil thoughts and sexual perversion. The next two are related. The King James Version uh, translates the word uh, passion as inordinate affection. It's the physical side of strong passions and uncontrollable lust. Whereas evil desires are the mental side of those things. The last on the list in verse 5 is covetousness. John MacArthur uh, defines this word as an insatiable desire to want more, especially of things that are forbidden. And whether you have an insatiable desire for a forbidden possession or a forbidden relationship, you are making yourself out to be God and essentially worshiping yourself, MacArthur says. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, calls that idolatry. Making yourself God. Verses 6 and 7. Because of these things, <laughs> because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. So Paul here provides two reasons why the Christian shouldn't be involved in the sins of fornication and uncleanness and passion and evil desire and covetousness. The first is they incur the wrath of God. The second is found in that phrase, the sons of disobedience, and it continues into verse 7. The sons of disobedience are those who are unpersuadable, those who are obstinate, those who reject the will of God. But verse 7 says, that's not you. That was you before you became a Christian. That was you, but that's not you anymore. Don't live like that anymore. God has a holy standard. Aspire to that standard. And reject the sin that defined you in the past. Verse 8. But now. Now that you are raised with Christ. Now that you no longer live in the sins that were just listed. Put off all these. There's an emphasis here on the word all, meaning the sins listed in verse 5 and the sins listed in verses 8 and 9. Put off all these. Anger, a deep-seated attitude of hatred and bitterness 
that you won't let go of. Notice I didn't say you can't let go of it. You won't let go of it. Wrath, the outburst or the rage that results from anger. Malice, an evil intention to cause hurt. Blasphemy. This word is translated slander in other translations. As a matter of fact, I think the NASB, uh, the NIV, ESV, and the New Living Translation all translate this word as a slander. The Greek word is blasphemia. The correct uh, translation is blasphemy, which is usually directed toward God, but is here directed toward men. But the Bible makes clear in James chapter 3, that to curse men, to blaspheme men who are made in the image of God, is to blaspheme God. And filthy language. Filthy language. Do you want to show people you're different? Do you want to show people you're different? Then... Talk different. Enter a team locker room. Enter a police squad room. Enter a corporate boardroom. Enter a company warehouse. And talk different. I'm not saying open up your Bible and start preaching. I'm not saying talk about the Lord. I'm saying what you already know I'm saying. Don't swear. Give it 15 minutes. 15. Give it 15 minutes. I guarantee you, if you do not swear, they're going to know there's something different about you going to be obvious it'll be right out in front of them they will notice because the world notices in the greek the word filthy language is used to mean the utterance of an uncontrolled tongue it is shameful speech that includes but is not limited to swearing the bible says in Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. We are called to build others up, not to tear one another down with our language. All of these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language, must be put out of your mouth. Put them off, Paul says. Put them off. Oh, and lying too. Verse 9. Lying. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds. Lying is out of place for the Christian. Lying is part of the deeds of the old self which we are dead to, and which you put off, you're called to put off. 
and have put on the new man, verse 10 says. I need to pause here uh, just for a second to talk about the words put off and put on. Let's talk about those words for just a moment. Verse 8, but now you yourselves are to put off all these. Verse 9, since you have put off the old man and his deeds. Verse 10, and have put on the new man. Verse 12, with apologies to our pastor who will be preaching verses 12 to, I don't remember, 17, I think, next week. Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility. Verse 14, but above all these things, put on love. The word translated put off in verses 8 and 9 is a word that refers to taking off your clothes. Take them off. Put on in verses 10, 12, and 14 literally means to clothe yourself. So Paul is offering a visual here, just as I'm doing right now. I love this shirt. I love this shirt. It's an old shirt. I've probably had it, I bet, over 20 years. Easy. Easy. I don't throw my clothes away. My wife does. I hide this one from her. <laughs> Look at this shirt. Ah, this shirt is comfortable. It's ratty. Yeah, it's ratty. It's old. It's not as bright as it used to be. I like this shirt. But for the purposes of this illustration, this shirt represents who I was before I was saved. Understand this, this shirt doesn't say, uh, I'm separated from Christ. What is inside me did. You understand that? I was sin-stained, was separated from the Lord. This shirt represents my way of life. It's how I lived before Christ, in sin. Uh, my works were not God-honoring at all. And the Bible says, put it off. Let me ask you a question. When you take a shower, you come out all clean. Do you put on your filthy clothes again? Do you put on your sweaty, dirty, gross clothes? Or do you put on fresh everything? Yeah. You want it fresh, you want it looking good. So when I became a Christian, when Jesus, by his grace, through faith, saved me, my old self died. My clothes didn't necessarily change. God changed me. But he tells me Take those old ways off. Take the way you lived off. Cast it aside. 
As a matter of fact, in verse 5, what did he say? Mortify it. What's that mean? Make it dead. I still love this shirt. But for the purposes of the illustration, you get it, right? Die. Why? Why do I want it to die? Because I might be inclined to pick it up again. I might be inclined to put it back on every now and then. So kill it now. Put it off. Mortify it. Illustration's not done. Instead, God is calling me to put on new clothes. He's calling me to put on a new way of life. He's calling me to live differently in my starched shirt, my nice starched little God is calling me to live in a different way. Because of that, he's calling me to put on a new way of life. Put on new clothes. Act a different way. Listen to me. These new clothes don't make me a Christian. Because my works don't make me a Christian. But I want my works to match what God has done in me inside. That's why I put off my old self, my old clothes, my old works. And put on new clothes. New works. Look back at verse 10 with me, please. And have put on the new man. And have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. It says the new man is renewed. That means he's being renewed continually. Continual renewal. There's a sense of contrast here. It's a process of renewing. There's a contrast to who I was before. There's new quality of life involved. The new man is being renewed through a deeper knowledge of God. It is being transformed into the image of Christ. That means the Spirit of God is at work in you to make you more like Jesus. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. 2 Corinthians 3, 18. Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day by day by day. By day, 2 Corinthians 4, 16. Verse 11, final verse in our passage this morning says this, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all 
and in all. The term Greek refers to Gentiles. Jews are the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There's neither Gentile nor Jew in Christ. For the Gentile and the Jew who are Christians, Paul says there are no national distinctions between them. Circumcision was a religious distinction of the Jews. Whether circumcised or uncircumcised, in Christ there are no religious distinctions. Anyone who was foreign to the Greek culture was considered a barbarian. If he was uh, not educated in the Greek schools, he was called a barbarian. A Scythian was a savage nomad. They were hated people. But in Christ, there are no cultural distinctions. Slave nor free refers to economic and social distinctions. There are none in Christ. Can I go further? There are no racial distinctions in Christ. May I go further? There are no class distinctions in Christ. May I go further? There are no political distinctions in Christ. The meaning of verse 11 is this. If you are in Christ, then Christ is in you. And just as each of us has a responsibility to throw off the old self and the sins that defined who we once were, the church of Jesus Christ must recognize and promote the unity we have in Christ and destroy the old barriers that once separated us. Here's the thing, Grace. Here's the thing. The Christian life is not about rules. It's not about putting off sexual sins or putting off anger and swearing and lying. That's not what it's about. We are saved by grace through faith, not by our works. So it's not about those things. But by saving you, God has changed you from the person you once were to the person you are now. You are not the same. It is up to you to show that change to the world by the way you live. The works you put off and the works you put on must agree with the new person God has made you to be in Jesus Christ. Someone, as they see that change in you, may be drawn to Christ because of it. To God be the glory. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. It's now yours to do with what you will. 
I pray that as we leave this building, that we might meditate on the words of the Apostle Paul. Consider their meaning. Consider how to apply these things. And Lord, may we live out by faith all that you've called us to be in Christ. May people recognize the difference in us. May we be missionaries. May we be on mission in a team locker room, in a police squad room, in a corporate boardroom, in any place where there are unsaved people. May they recognize the difference in us, not to our credit, but to the glory of God. And may they be drawn to Christ because of it. That's my prayer. Bless the remainder of our time and bless your people in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand.